Flight 229, you're clear for takeoff. Just like a flight plan, you have to know where you're going and how you will get there when you plan for retirement. Let Ryan Fleming help you chart out a course for your retirement with his intimate knowledge of financial planning and the airline industry. It's time for the Pilot's Advisor. Hey there, and welcome to another edition of the Pilot's Advisor. Walter Storholt here alongside Ryan Fleming, financial advisor at Fleming Financial Group, serving you all across the world, but based out of Georgia. You can find us online at FlemingFG.com. Ryan, good to be with you today. How you been, sir? Been great, Walter. How you doing? You joining us from the road today or at home? Nope, I'm still at home rehabbing my uh, my replaced knees, but I'm doing pretty <laughs> well. Walking, going to the gym, and just, uh, you know, takes a little time. What's the recovery look like when that happens? I mean, how quick are you back moving around and, and walking and all that kind of stuff? They want you up on them pretty quickly, but uh, you know, depending on what kind of job you have, it can be anywhere from eight to twelve weeks before you're really going back to work. Yeah, but um, amazing to think that you're replacing it, and what within a couple of days you're moving around, and you know, maybe oh, not absolutely, a, you're not one hundred percent, but still, just <laughs> fascinating yeah. to even just be moving. It, it's been pretty crazy, and I can see the long term prognosis is going to be much better than the the pain I was dealing with before. I had a family member get their gallbladder taken out last week, and it's just amazing that that's an outpatient surgery, <laughs> that you can remove an organ and then go home an hour later. It, it doesn't compute in my brain to that you know medical advancements have come that far, but uh, pretty awesome to see for those who have to go through that stuff. Yeah, for sure, and I think that's one side of the picture. The other side of the picture is people are appalled if there's a medical procedure and something goes haywire. And I think that that's our society just being a, you know, a little bit too spoiled on how amazing the technological advances have been. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, no doubt about that. Well, we've got a great show on the way today. We're going to be talking about learning through uncommon sense. What? What in the world is uncommon sense? Uh, we'll stay tuned because that's what we're going to dive into today. You know, at first glance, some of these things that we're going to cover on the show today, they'll seem like basic common sense that everybody would agree with. But when we look at the way people actually behave when it comes to their money and their finances, it seems that common sense is actually a bit more uncommon than maybe initially thought. So we're going to see what we can learn and really diagnose, Ryan, I guess I'm looking from you, why people do the, you know, would believe that this is a good idea, but then they kind of do the opposite with their with their actions. And one thing to kind of kick us off, I think that'd be just a really easy one to attack, would be the mentality of buying low and selling high. And you're not going to find a single person who disagrees with that theory behind, you know, investing in that way. But many people behave differently, right? I mean, do you see that in, in the people that you meet with and when you're analyzing portfolios and past transactions and things like that? And, and what's the psychology behind that? Well, and you said it right. It's the psychology behind it. I mean, everybody knows that you should buy low and sell high. The problem is no one does it because they like if uh, a stock that they buy has continued to increase in value, they want to buy more of it and because they want more of that feel good. Well, the problem is they're buying at a high high level, and you know, in most cases, the the normal market cycle that's going to come back down. When I think about this, I really think about why we rebalance accounts, and we do it unemotionally because people make too many of their decisions with emotion. And if you rebalance an account, it forces you to do the right thing with buying low and selling high. Perfect example here recently: the U.S. large cap market. The S&P 500 has been rocking and rolling. And what we should be doing is selling some of that and buying 
small and international and replacing it because that's what's low. But what most people do is they buy more of the stock that's high. So you're saying people kind of when they shoot from the hip or make one-off decisions, they tend to then not follow this buy low, sell high advice. But if it's part of a system and a process, more often than not, you're going to be able to follow this guidance and advice. Absolutely. I always say that people are too emotionally involved to do the right thing with their money. And so much of investing is taking the emotions and the psychology out of it and being a little bit more systematic and disciplined. And so if you have a investment philosophy and systems in place, it forces you to do the right thing. Very cool. Buy low, sell high. Common sense, but it's uh, uncommonly followed. Let's try to flip that around, at least for our listening population. Uh, keep that in mind next time you go to make financial decisions. Don't do the opposite of uh, buying high and selling low. All right. Uh, another piece of common sense advice seems to be that you don't want to pay more in taxes than you have to. And I don't think anybody voluntarily signs up to pay extra taxes. But at the same time, many people do pay more taxes than they need to or have to. Do you find that and uncover that in your meetings with folks? And, and what's the psychology behind that piece? Well, absolutely. And it's our duty to pay as little as possible in taxes legally. I mean, that, that should be our duty. But much like analyzing what we're doing in our 401ks or in our investments, taxes kind of go down that same road where people, even though it's such a major, major part of their lives and their future, they seem to not have the time to really dig into it. And when I talk about taxes, I really talk about how you need to find a CPA that's just not a, a, a tax preparer, not the one that takes all the numbers and puts it into your, to your uh, documents there and spits out what you owe in taxes. But let's work with your CPA so that we can be tax planners and try to eliminate or reduce the amount of taxes that you're paying to the government every year. Yeah, that's a great goal for a lot of people to have. And I guess everybody, as you said, should have that. So don't pay more in taxes than you have to. It's one of the really overlooked pieces. And we've talked about it here on the show before. One of the overlooked pieces of planning for retirement and people's financial pictures. They just don't pay enough attention to the tax side of the equation. Uh, but if we can save money there, it's just as good as earning money in the market. Have you ever wanted to learn more about the academic approach to investing and saving and planning for retirement that Ryan talks about here on The Pilot's Advisor? Well, if so, go visit pilotsadvisor.com. Pilotsadvisor.com. You can watch a quick webinar on the academic approach to investing. It'll show you how not to speculate and gamble with your money. It's all based on Nobel Prize winning research. It only takes about 10 minutes to get through the video and watch it. Going to be worth your time, I promise you. Go check it out right now, pilotsadvisor.com. It's a webinar that covers that academic approach to investing. Pilotsadvisor.com. All right, back to the show. Uh, we also think it's great common sense advice to keep costs low. No secret that the lower your costs are within your investments, that'll let your money grow faster and keep more of it in your pocket. But people still end up in instruments that have very high fees. Um, how often do you see people with really high fee instruments in their portfolios, Ryan? And, and why do people kind of get involved in these things in the first place? And are they truly that harmful? Well, I think this goes back on many different levels because I think. And I'll take annuities. I'm, I'm one of those people, one of those financial advisors that really thinks that an annuity is probably not the right investment vehicle for 95% of the population. And I think it's sad that most investors that are tied up in an annuity 
don't even understand the fees that they are paying or that their fixed income annuities capped at 2%. And, you know, so I think in a lot of, a lot of cases, it's maybe just not understanding. I think people know fees should be low, and, but they just don't know sometimes what, what product they might be getting sold. Um, also, I think it's okay to, you know, like you get what you pay for too. I mean, you can't go out there and find the cheapest of a financial advisor or the cheapest expense ratio, and you're, you're probably not going to get the, the return that you're looking for. Um, like anything else in life, you get what you pay for too. So I think it's a constant balance of, of really taking the time to analyze exactly what the fees are in, in any, uh, any financial plan. So maybe even instead of keeping costs low being the good common sense piece of advice, it's more so keeping in mind the value that you're getting for your costs. Well, absolutely. And you know, you can't let you can't let the the low fees drive all your decisions. You need okay. to come up with an investment philosophy that works and have an academic way that backs up why you're doing what you're doing. You know, statistically backed up by Nobel Prize winning research and then start finding the cheapest way to do it. Speaking of Nobel Prize winning research and an academic approach to investing, might be a good idea to check out pilotsadvisor.com where you can watch a webinar uh, on the academic approach to investing and where Ryan will show you how not to speculate and gamble with your money. Again, all of this based on Nobel Prize winning research. Only takes about 10 minutes to view the video. Check it out, pilotsadvisor.com the place to go to see that. All right, so keep costs low. Don't pay more in taxes than you have to. Buy low and sell high. What about the old goody, don't put all your eggs in one basket? We've all heard that in many ways in life. Be good common sense advice. And most people, I think, understand the importance of diversification when it comes to money. But most people still don't do a very good job of having a diversified plan, do they, Ryan? I'm absolutely amazed by this. I think we know sometimes the buzzwords in investing and diversification is one of those. But I find in practice, most investors without the help of a financial advisor don't truly get adequate diversification. And what I see out there, I see people that come and say, hey, I know I should be diversified, but I have 90% of all my money in one individual stock. And I'm like, so does that seem like a good idea? But yet here they have a whole portfolio that 90% of it's in one stock. Not a good thing. No. And then, and then the other thing is, being diversified doesn't necessarily mean owning, you know, five or ten mutual funds or twenty-five stocks because you got to build an efficient portfolio. If you have ten mutual funds and they're all invested in the same thing, that's not diversification. That's just lack of efficiency. So it's a lot more complicated than just having X number of stocks or X number of mutual funds. You really need to dig deeper and find out exactly what's inside those mutual funds or what asset classes those stocks are actually uh, involved in to really have and engineer a correct portfolio. The other thing I see is people think that diversifying is having what we used to term the financial junk chore. So I'll meet a new prospect and they have their money all over the place, meaning you know, they have three old 401k plans there. They have you know four or five custodians with a little bit of money in each, each one. None of them are talking to each other. And Having diversification in custodians, advisors, just you know, stuff all over the place, that's not the kind of diversification we're looking for either. That's the financial junk drawer where nothing's talking to each other. It's very inefficient. And uh, consolidation, I think, when you're looking at your finances and really understanding what's going on is key. And that's another problem that I see all the time. 
Speaking of the financial junk drawer, go back and check out episode 10 of the Pilot's Advisor podcast on your favorite podcasting apps, and uh, you'll be able to listen to an episode all about the three things that are wasting away in your financial junk drawer, most likely. Uh, we covered that Once topic again, in detail. Once again, why Walter gets paid the big bucks. <laughs> again, that's episode 10. Go back and check that one out uh, for more details on that concept and that idea. Really good episode. I remember that one from, uh, it was a while ago, but uh, I remember that one definitely. And I'm sure, uh, although we may be talking about, uh, I don't know, that might have been pre-pandemic when we did that episode, Ryan, so that may sound really different <laughs> to go back and listen to that episode, uh, at least in the first few minutes, but I'm sure that the general concepts certainly still apply today. Well, hey there. We hope you're enjoying listening to the Pilot's Advisor today. Just wanted to take a quick moment from the show to remind you that if you have any questions ever about what Ryan talks about on the program, need any assistance with your financial planning, need some guidance to get to and through retirement, or whatever financial questions might be on your mind, don't ever hesitate to reach out. The simple way to get in touch with Ryan is to pick up the phone and call or text 843-475-3038. Again, that's 843-475-3038. You can also find Ryan online at FlemingFG.com. That's FlemingFG.com. And as always, we put contact information to get in touch with Ryan in the description or the show notes section of the program. So just check it out on whatever app you're using, and it's easy to get in touch with Ryan. All right, now back to the show. Last but not least, and this one kind of ties back maybe into our beginning one of talking about buying low and selling high, but it's definitely in its category of its own, and that's market timing, and that it's virtually impossible. And I think whenever we say that, Ryan, people kind of nod along. They're like, yeah, I know. It's it's like a, a good rule of thumb. Market timing's not good. We shouldn't do it. But then when you look at behaviors, again, they don't line up. I'm amazed at this because I still think that people believe that market timing's okay at times. And once again, like all the stuff we're talking about, it goes back to emotion and people's inability to follow a plan and stick to it. I can show all the data to an investor and show them why market timing doesn't work, but yet they're still going to do it. They're also going to let their emotions drive what they're doing. Like right now, many people are scared about inflation and everything else or what the market's going to do and trying to predict what the market's going to do. And we, you know, it's been proven time and time again that the market is absolutely unpredictable. So it's a little, it's a little frustrating to watch investors do this. I understand why they do. It's because it's tied to emotion. But, it, but it's hard to watch when uh, people hurt themselves and hurt their, their family's financial future by trying to predict uh, what the market's going to do and try to time the market to, to make, a, uh, make a profit. That's a great point, Ryan. And uh, yeah, it's too bad when we don't follow that common sense advice. So all these things sound like common sense, but really they're, they're quite uncommon that these things get followed. So this hey, is one uh, area Walter. where you want to be different from the crowd, Ryan. Yeah, and I have. Uh, I want to ask you a couple questions on this. Okay. Do you have any good stories of family members or people you know that have tried to time the market and it might have hurt them? Mm. Um, the only thing I can think—I mean, I can think back to last year when, uh, right before, or well, when the pandemic news was coming down. I remember getting a call from my parents, who are you know two years away from retirement, or they were around three years at that time. And they were wondering, um, having never asked really a financial or investing question to me ever before, <laughs> uh, being relatively private, they said, hey, should we sell everything because of this thing? Like, what should we do in this moment? 
So that, that rang a little bit of trying to time the market and, and make some major life decision on your lifetime earnings, you know, calling at you know, 10 a.m. on a Wednesday or whatever it was and trying to have a decision by the end of the day of what to do. Um, so that was interesting. You know, I, I won't say they got burned by it because they ultimately decided to just, you know, stay the course and ride out the storm since they were still a few years away. And, of course, the markets rebounded, so that ended up being a good a good decision. But, um, but yeah, I think that was that was probably at least a close call. Yeah, for sure. And it, what, what I find very interesting, and I think that last year was a perfect example, is there was, you know, there's always winners and losers. And even in the case of last year where so many things were happening around the world, and let's say you were a market timer and you decided to, to go to cash. And maybe you got back in, you know, before or just as the markets were rebounding and, and you, you got a nice healthy profit because of it. The scary part about that is that it teaches you that you, in your mind, you think that you can do this and that you're good at it. Or there's a lot of uh, pilots that I've talked to that started buying stocks last year as the market was taken off. And the funny part is you could pretty much pick about anything and you've made a, a pretty massive profit. And so it tells you, hey, I'm pretty good at the stock picking thing. I'm going to continue to do that. Where all the data suggests, if you continue to do either of those things, you're going to probably hurt yourself because you have to continue to be right every time. It's a great point. Yep, could have been right that one time, but could have gone very wrong as well. I think when we'd had that conversation, um, looking back to last year, it was after the market had already dropped maybe 10 or so percent, 10 or 15 percent. And so that was the conversation we had was, well, yeah, I mean, you might avoid a further drop, but this drop's not going to last forever. And you'd really be hurting your chances of a successful retirement if you're wrong. And you'd sell now down 10% and then things skyrocket back up and you don't get back in in time. And now you've lost all of that buying power and that momentum. And that's just completely money out the door that you'll never, you don't have the time to ever get that back for your retirement. So. It was, it was a good, good conversation, and it helped, I think, show how it could go just as wrong as it could have gone right. Well, a very wise man once said that I don't know if the next 20% is going to be up or down. I have no clue. Nobody does. But I know that the next 100% is going to be up. And the reason why I know that is because it always has been. And it's funny because that sounds so crazy, but it's true. The next 100% is always up, and it always has been. Yep, it's a great point and probably a good finishing note there, Ryan. I like that sentiment. So if you have any questions about what we've talked about today, want to make sure that you're following Common Sense and uh, part of that group that's uncommon to follow such sense, uh, be sure to give Ryan a call. He can help walk you through any question marks that exist in your portfolio, answer questions that you have on your mind, call or text to get in touch at 843-475-3038. 843-475-3038 or go online to FlemingFG.com. That's FlemingFG.com to get more information. And we'll put contact info in the description of today's show for you. Ryan, thanks for the help and uh, good luck continuing to heal up those knees. And we'll talk to you soon. I can't wait till we stop talking about these knees. And I appreciate <laughs> it, Walter. Right. We'll talk to you soon. Take care. That's Ryan Fleming. I'm Walter. We'll talk to you next time on The Pilot's Advisor. 
You've been listening to The Pilot's Advisor, featuring Ryan Fleming, a financial advisor at Fleming Financial Group, serving clients worldwide, but based out of Charleston, South Carolina. If you have any questions for Ryan on what we've talked about on today's show, maybe a future topic idea, or want to talk more about getting a complimentary review of your financial plan, here's the best ways to get in touch. You can go online to the website, FlemingFG.com. That's FlemingFG.com. You can also email Ryan. It's simply Ryan at FlemingFG.com. Or you can call or text to get in touch. 843-475-3038 is the number. That's 843-475-3038. Thanks for listening to The Pilot's Advisor. And don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcasting apps. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, in many more locations. So whatever app you like to use, search for the Pilots Advisor podcast today and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Information is for illustrative purposes only and does not constitute tax, investment, or legal advice. Always consult with a qualified investment, legal, or tax professional before taking any action.